And this is for people who are going to grow taller and we're allowed to imagine. And when I am as tall as this, or this, or this, or even when I walk like this, I know that Jesus loves me. I know. Jesus, Jesus loves me. Thank you. Okay. I'm um, going to look. Gonna, this sermon's going to talk about ageing, and I feel a bit scared, because we are really careful about what we say about age. We will ask people um, for wedding anniversaries, how many years have you been married? Do we ask them how old they are? No! Why don't we do that? Age can be tricky. When I was um, 15, 20 years ago, when I was, that would have been, and I'm not going to say how old I was. See, that's because I'm vague. I was um, working in a church, and I did a lot of work with university students. And um, during the day, I, and the church office was actually in a, in Ranadale. Um, the, the, there's a, a house near Ranadale. Ranadale's a rest home for people who've mostly been in the world wars. So there, with the university students, I felt like I was really old. I'd go and work in the office, and I'd have a chat to a 90-year-old, and I'd think I'm hardly alive. And I had this very strange experience. Has anyone seen the movie The Dish? Okay, all blank looks. It's about how when the first men walked on the moon, um, the, uh, there was a satellite dish in Australia that they were trying to get to work so that it could televise it. It was really important. It worked. And uh, I went to watch this movie at a student party. So there are about 30 or 40 pe uh, people who are 19 years old. And um, partway through the movie... Now, I have a childhood memory when I'm really revealing my age, probably pre-kindergarten, of being taken into a dark room, um, a class of us, to watch a black and white TV. And I think I watched people land on the moon. Yep, I think that's, that's my childhood memory. Though, as I grew up, I thought that can't be a real memory. I must have made that up. Because who filmed it was what I thought. Okay, three-quarters of the way, okay, you know, we don't always think clearly. Three-quarters of the way through the movie, a kid explains to his dad how there's a camera on the arm of the lander. And that's how, when people get out, they're going to film it. And I sit there, and I'm struck by, that's a real memory. I remember seeing people walk on the moon. And I'm really excited by the guy, oh, that's really awesome. And I look around at a cloud of 19-year-olds, and I think... No, I can't tell them this. All they're going to think is, you're how old? <laughs> it's tricky talking about age. And um, I wanted to try and have a crack at looking at a little bit of what Scripture says about ageing, all of the ages. And I don't know that I've succeeded. So uh, how about do me the favour of um, give me the benefit of the doubt in this. <laughs> Um, I think it's good for all of us to be aware of what it is like to be a human and the range of ages. So I would actually like to, in the space of a sermon, have a bit where we can hear from people and they can say, this is something that's great about being this age. And actually, this is quite hard. Because I think if you're young, it's really good to hear this. And I think if you're old, it's really good to hear the younger people reflect on it. I think that's part of what a community church is about, connections between many. But uh, just to be clear, the thing about age... Now, hopefully, there'll be a bit of music in this next thing. Is it going to... Here we go. Oh, go back. Is there some music coming through? Oh, what a shame. There's a blues... So I'll just try it one more time. There should...
Nice uplifting song, eh? You got to die. Now, we don't sing that cheerfully now, but there are times when people did. It's an American Negro song for the people in slavery singing, you may as well get ready, you're going to die. And they sang it because that was, for them, a sign of release. And we don't think that way, but it is still true. I'll bet you, and you'll never get to collect on this, (laughs) that everybody in this room will die. Now, some people are immediately thinking, well, what if Jesus comes back? But... Everybody in this room will die. And if Jesus comes back, I'm prepared to lose that bet. That's fine. We're going to die. We may as well know it. We may as well pay attention to it. And now, um, I think we find some difficulty in talking about this. We find some difficulty because we grab hold of verses that talk about John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And that's what we want, isn't it? We want to have life to the full. I want that. You want that? Yeah, absolutely. This is what we want, and so it becomes our focus. And more than that, do we believe that God heals people? Well, actually, I do. God does heal people. It happens. And so what are you to say to someone that's dying? Do you say, are you going to die? Are you, do you say, God's going to heal? What do you do with this? It's actually quite tricky in a church when you believe in healing to know what to say. Um, I actually love this verse. I love, I came that they shall have real and eternal life, more and better life than they had dreamed of. I came to give life with joy and abundance. I think that is true of Jesus. And I think when people encounter Jesus, they actually see that. There is a coming to life that is going on in them, and they're excited about it. But still, everyone's going to die. Now, many people think that the stuff that's written in the Bible mostly has to do with beating people into heaven, but that's not entirely fair. Yes, God wants to save their eternal souls, but the Bible is equally concerned with living on this earth and living well. It is interested in the life after, but it is interested in the life before the life after. Make sense? That's why you have books like Proverbs that are full of wisdom, aged wisdom, about how to live well. They want us to live well. This life is a gift. And it is a mistake to think it's only about saving souls in heaven. The Lord's Prayer talks about it, God's will coming on earth as well as heaven. And we are currently on earth. Eugene Peterson says, The Bible is interested in living on this earth, living well, and living in robust sanity. Oh, I like that line. I'd quite like to live that. In fact, I kind of hunger towards a sane, a sane Christianity. Because it does seem like there are some insane Christianities out there, which I wouldn't highly recommend. But people die. I started thinking about this because I went to Invercargill. There was a guy there called John Dennison, a very, very godly guy. He came, um, he got cancer, um, and the church rallied around him and prayed, and he had a remission. And they were really excited. This was pre my coming. And then it came back. And the church was distraught because they thought he was healed. It should be right. This should be the fairy tale. And he got sick and died. Now, the church was stunning to the community, and there was a funeral, and you saw his faith strongly. But I heard in the voices of the people there these voices of grief. How can it happen? We prayed he should be well. Because if you believe in healing, that's, that you get caught in this, don't you? It, it's there. What do we do? And they said things like, this, you know, this shouldn't happen. Good people shouldn't die. But actually, could we all die? Good people, bad people. 
we might as well face it, we're going to die. Now, in our culture, we try and avoid age and death. It's a, um, not a happy conversation. We tend to hide our elderly in rest homes. Now, it's quite good. There's good support there. They have people around them, which is a lot less lonely than being at home on your own. But we don't see people die much. In fact, now, I'm really interested in this. In the, in the East, you often see dead bodies. But in the West, I'm just curious, how many people here have seen a real dead body of a human? Raise a hand. Yep. I figured that would be about right. Yep. And actually, most of the young people haven't, although probably your grandfather grandmother has died. You know, it's going on all the time. Some have. Yep. In our culture, we're embarrassed about death and don't want to talk it. Has anyone heard, come across this prayer? Now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul would take, no, to take. Anyone heard, that, or heard of that prayer? Fair number. Any parent want to teach their kid that? <laughs> Cheerful thought, eh? And if I should die before I... No, 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 we don't want to pretend that they might die. It gets worse. This is an old prayer, a common prayer people would say before they, uh, before they went to bed. There's a second verse. Our days begin with trouble here, our life is but a span. And cruel death is always near, so frail a thing is man. Now, good night, dear, sleep well. <laughs> Genuinely, people prayed this because they weren't embarrassed about death. They knew it was possible, likely. We are much more nervous about death. We don't want to be reminded. Um, in 1974, Ernest Becker published a book called The Denial of Death. Woody Allen said, I quite like this, it's not that I don't want to die, I just don't want to be there when it happens. <laughs> That's us. Now, that, it hasn't always been the case. They, there was a time, there's a thing called uh, a, a memento mori, which is you'll see in old paintings, you'll see a skull painted. Now, it's actually in this painting. Can anyone see where it is? It's actually painted at an angle here. That's a skull at an angle. See that? And what you'll see, and here's, here it is if it's blown up and turned around so it's the right angle. Why do they put a skull in the picture? They put it in the pictures because they said, if you're rich enough to afford a painting, if you've got all this money, you may as well remember one day you're going to die. And then what happens to all your stuff? And uh, I, I think it's quite funny. There's a, an artist... Uh, Pablo Garcia, he's made up a selfie stick with a skull on it. Can you see that? Because he says we should be reminding ourselves our life is not forever. It doesn't go on forever. Part of it is we get older. Has anyone seen, last bit for you, has anyone seen the clip on YouTube currently about Helen Mirren? She's being interviewed by Ellen, and she thinks she's 75 um, years old, but, or whatever age. And uh, actually, Helen's done a research, and she says, actually, no, you're a year younger. And she's so excited. <laughs> she's actually the same age that she was the day before, but she's discovered that she's been miscounting it. It happens as you get older. Ages keep changing. Well, it happens to me. I don't know about you guys. Um, she's so thrilled. Why would we care? Now, this is a... If anyone ever quotes Job to you, be careful. Because the book of Job is full of arguments between the friends who say, Job, something, you did something wrong. This is why life has gone bad for you. You did something wrong. And Job who says, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. I didn't do something wrong. And that's what a large part of the book is. So when people quote Job to, um, 
justify things, just check it out. In one of the arguments of a younger chap, Eliphaz, he says to Job, if you did everything right, then you will come to the grave in full vigor like sheaves gathered in season. Okay, what do you reckon about what he says, yes or no? We'd kind of like that, wouldn't we? And actually, my father's generation, now if you're of my father's generation, my apologies, I meet a lot of people who they thought their body would be the body of a 20-year-old until they died. And it isn't. And actually, they find that really hard. And I'm bemused because, well, I'll be there, so let's not get harsh on it, but that was never the deal. You don't get to be, have a 20-year-old body. All you, do guys who are 20s, enjoy it. It's great. Actually, it does get, there's great things about getting older too, but that body changes. And the Bible is much more realistic. And a part of what put me on this rack is last week we quoted from Zechariah this quote about once again men and women of ripe old age will sit on the streets of Jerusalem, each of them with their cane in their hand because of their age. The city streets will be filled with boys and girls playing there. It's a picture of things when the world is right. And I love it because that for me is community church. That is the 20-year-olds playing volleyball and the 70-year-olds probably not but watching and enjoying it. It's that that interconnection. I think that's part of what we're called to be, that connection. How do we get there? How do we be that? Well, I thought it might be kind of good to have a look at age. And I thought it might be kind of good, I, I, I put some numbers in there, to have a look at age and get a sense for, well, what happens at these various ages? And so what I've done... Let's pick some ages, 7, 14, 21, 35, 55, and 75. Now, they're entirely arbitrary ages, okay? I'm not expecting that anybody is exactly those ages, and I'm not expecting you to declare yourself as that. But what I would like you to do is talk to somebody next to you about one of those ages. And I want you to think of three things that are good about being that age, I think. I'm hoping that I've got this right. I'll go back for a moment. Three things you love... And three challenges. How about three things that you love that are great about being that age and three challenges, and I'll get that screen back up in a moment. Okay? You have a chance to have a chat with someone next to you. Now, you can pick your own age. You can pick an age you remember, anything you like. Go for it. Chance to have a chat. If you're an introvert, it's okay to sit there with your arms folded. Just think about the topic. There's usually tissues at, over there. Okay. 
Okay, sorry to interrupt you now. Is there anybody here who is kind of below 10 and would love to say something, how old they are and how, what it's like being their age, something that's great about being their age? Come on, Isaac, come on, tell us. How old are you? Seven. And, oh, and what's, great about, what's great about being seven? That you're getting into the bigger kids stage. You're getting into the biggest bigger stage. Okay, and what do you what, what do you love or want being seven years old? Anything you think, you think? Oh, I'd love to do this. What do you love doing? Ninja warrior. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Anyone else? Anyone else want to talk about being being seven or around that age? Anybody pick that age and want to say, hey, these things are great and these things are tough? When you're seven, do you want to be... Oh, yes? We talked about those. You talk, do you want to say anything? It wasn't me, actually. It was nothing your cheek. <laughs> <laughs> no, we were talking about it in our little group. Um, we said the innocence, the fun, you had no responsibility, but the challenges were that... Yeah, lovely, Richard. Yep. Have a good week. Cheers, Richard. Um, but the challenges were that you actually had no influence... And you couldn't always do what you wanted when you wanted it. And sometimes you didn't understand stuff. Nice. Yep. Um, grades didn't matter when you were seven years old. Absolutely. Didn't care about what my marks were. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe you did. Okay. Um, the range of opinions. Anything, anyone else, any other comments for seven? Yep. Sure. What we thought was that um, when you're seven, it's very easy just to meet and make friends. You don't have prejudices when you're seven. Um, absolutely, that's really true. And one of the gifts for a parent of someone of that age is you meet people you might never otherwise meet. You, and, and it's lovely. You, actually, that's something you miss as you get older, because you lose that. OK, what about 14? 14, who's up for 14, roughly? Give or take five years. Independence. What's that? Independence. You, as in you have it or you want it? Uh, both. <laughs> yep. Hanging out to get the driver's license. Yep. What else? I, I, I didn't put 17 there, but, but if you want to say something about 17, go for it. Um, so I'm 17, and the good thing about that is I can still sometimes get a child ticket, but some people mistake me for 20, so that's really cool. Oh, yes, being mistaken for a different age. Who's a fan of that? <laughs> Anyone else? What kind of things are you itching for when you're 14? Makeup? Not one that I had, but yes. <laughs> The adult things, because you're on the edge, yes? Do you have a boy or girlfriend? That's quite big. Yep. Um, when you're 14, you want to be in a relationship. Absolutely. It's a bit, and, and it's almost, sometimes when you're that age, it's almost like a badge, like having a car. Do you, do you know what I mean? It's, it's a thing that people can want. Okay, what about 21? Anyone want to weigh in for 21? I've got weigh in. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm being really generous about ranges, so... You are starting to be an adult, and other people that are adults are starting to acknowledge that you are one. Yep. And, and those who aren't, you can understand where they're coming from with not understanding it, because you have a high level of understanding, because you can see into the future through predictions that you've gotten better at between the ages of 14 and 20. Yep. Yep, you've learned a lot of skills in that time period. 
Yep. I feel like 21 is like the age that you are now expected to be an adult but often don't have any idea what you want to do and that can be a bit scary. That is. And people hate being asked all the time, what are you going to do? Because they don't necessarily know. That's tough. This age, people often go out flatting and they have to learn how to do their... Yeah, the dishes and the washing. There's a huge amount of stuff in life. That when you're older, you take for granted. But when you're young, you actually haven't learned it. You don't know. Any other comments? 21? Yep. Just like 14, you really want to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Love to be able to share. And actually, quite a lot of angst about how your life is going to be in the future. Yeah. Am I going to be alone all my life? Is it going to be like this all my life? Yep, I see that hand. Yeah, I remember it's, it's about that age that you, money starts to flow in. I mean, it may not be much, but it's that sense of that, actually, I can earn money. I'm not dependent. That's related to that independence. And that's quite powerful. I mean, you may, you may still, money still may go out just as quick, but the ability to earn, you, you get that sense that I, I can make it in life. Um, in actual fact, this particular age, this kind of age, is when you have more income, typically, not for everyone, more income and less outgoings than probably any other stage of your life. Uh, maybe not. Uh, uh, that's true. That, <laughs> no, that, I mean, there are exceptions, but in general, in the 20s, people are often not married, they don't yet own houses, they, all that kind of stuff. It's, it's very... Out, uh, there's a lot of... They tend to have disposable income, and it is true that is not true for all. Okay. And actually, that's a generational shift, I would argue. Um, yes, the coming generation, are you ever going to be able to buy a house? Well, when I was 21, we had a house, and we had no disposable income because everything was tied up in our house. So there you go. So Jill just said when she was 21, they had a house but no disposable income. Yep. Um, a little bit younger, Jill, when I was 21, I didn't even think about having a house. Yep. When Chris was 21, didn't think about buying a house. I, I confess, when I was 21, I was a yuppie. I was working in the computer industry, earning a lot of money, and I had no idea what to do with it. She yep. Me. <laughs> <laughs> I had a great selection of CDs. Remember those CDs? Okay, moving on. Okay, 35. Yep. Okay, Morgan first, and then Johan. Uh, when I was 35, I owned a house. I was married. Um, but we didn't have any kids, but, and we had two good incomes. So we were working in the computer industry. <laughs> and, um, yeah, life was pretty good. The challenge was Linda was pregnant, so reality was about to come crashing through the door. <laughs> yeah, 35, uh, I was still stronger than Jasper. Uh, <laughs> that, was a, that was a very good age. Nowadays, I have to tell Jasper, don't hurt your dad, don't hurt your dad. He plays mean, Jasper, you plays mean. <laughs> Anyone else? Any other hands? Any other suggestions? Yep. When you get excited to get ID'd for alcohol. <laughs> sudden, you prefer to be, uh, for people to miss your age as someone younger. Yep, which is really weird that when younger than that, you kind of want to be thought of as older, and then suddenly it shifts. It was interesting for me, I once did this with a bunch of university students who were mapping out the age. They described this age and it sounded awful. They said, you're married, you've got kids and a mortgage. And, they, and the two of us who were running the event said, actually, we're both about that age. Life's good. <laughs> It's worth hearing that when you're young. 
It doesn't, I can't say for everyone, but parts of life get better. There's good things about getting older. Okay, jumping forward to 55. Who would like to say something about 55? We're probably looking for older people to speak here. Other people, no, I'm going, see, I can't even say that right. Yep, Paul. Well, I have a companion all these years, but also um, a couple of the other things was uh, not to have to look after young kids. Your kids look after your young kids, which is great. And, <laughs> and enjoy good health. Yep. What? Yep. Here we go. Oh, that was good, wasn't it? Here, you take this and I'll fix this. Um, it's been my optometrist said, oh, that's maturity, because I need bifocals. Oh, there you go. That was very good when my optometrist said I needed uh, to change. He just said, Colin, you're getting older. I, I think I prefer maturity. That's much nicer. Anyone else want it? Yep. Seeing your kids growing up into adults themselves, which is great. Yeah. Okay, I've, it looks like I've touched this and it's jumped forward to 75. Would anyone like to make a comment on what it's like to be 75? Something that's good, something that's a challenge. Really? Okay, this is on behalf of my nana. So... She... <laughs> I'm going to bring the mic to you next, okay? So, so she, she's really awesome and she's got, like, the best grandkids ever, right? And Started well. The, the next bonus is as soon as she gets a walking stick in her hand, she gets private box seats at the cricket and tennis. <laughs> oh, seriously? Nice. Come on, do you want to say anything? <laughs> Young whippersnapper. <laughs> Thank you, Ashley Jo. Yes, we... Mark, we're going to tennis in Melbourne and we knew we were going to go up into the gods, you know, the high lot. And I thought, oh, gosh, I'll never do those steps. I'll take a walking stick. Because we walked in a wee bit later and the woman said, can you manage your steps? I said, oh, yes, if I've got the stick, come into the disabled, she said. And we had the best seats in the house. <laughs> Score. Not something I ever thought about. What, what else? Uh, anything else? Anything else you want to say about this? Yep. If you've got children who are still at university, you've still got quite a few dependents upon you and on your income. And before you get to 75, you're at a stage where you've got income, um, you've got far less outgoings, your house is paid off and stuff like that, and your kids are all responsible. Their grand, your grandkids, they have to look after their own children. You can enjoy your grandchildren, but you don't actually have to put them to bed or tell them off so much when they're naughty or all that sort of thing. <laughs> I heard an amen. Yeah, so, no, so, so before you get to... By the time you get to 75, you're not likely, so likely to have your own income. Back. Yep, no, I, I, I had to do the big jump, otherwise the service would take forever. Um, Anyone else want to? Yep, one over there. <laughs> you are. A bit like Ashley Joe. I just was thinking about this earlier because I knew that it was coming. But um, as a nurse, I regularly have patients saying to me, oh, it's, it's awful getting old. I could just about daily, someone will say that to me. But actually, I've been struck time and time again, it's a privilege to get old because there's a lot of people who have lost people in their life who died young. And so even though the aches and pains and the, the maladies of age are not pleasant, actually it's, it's wonderful to be able to get old. Just like one back here. Statistics show that only 2 to 3% of older people actually live in retirement care. The rest are living out in the community. Hmm. 
And some people that are living out in the community are far more handicapped, disabled, than what they are in facilities. One of the things I found hard was people that were younger than myself coming and saying to me, oh, Lynn, I'm old, I'm old. And I turn around and say, no, you're not old yet. I'm older than you. Nice, okay, I'm gonna pause there for this. I wanted this to get a snapshot, and it's not a full snapshot. What seems to happen is that the first part of your life is a journey you are completely dependent on your parents. And slowly you get more and more independence, more and more ability. Particularly in the West, this is how we think about aging. Yep. And what do we love in the West? We love to be independent. Stand on our own two feet. This is a line from my family for sure. Stand, uh, beholding to no one. They don't speak like that. Um, <laughs> this is the holy grail, independence. But the second half of life is a slow journey back towards dependence. And we find that really difficult because we value independence and we have forgotten the gift of dependence. That actually sometimes being cared for is good. You were thrilled to care for your kids when, if you're a parent and you had young kids. It was great. Yes, it was hard work. Dependence, the Bible doesn't see dependence as necessarily a bad thing. Okay? So, first half, learning who you are. Um, hopefully, by the time you reach the second half of life, you know who you are. And you're trying to work with that. Actually, it becomes less about what you do in the second half of your life. Other people look at you and they think, I could be like you. And they either think, I'd like to be like you. Actually, there's a number of older people, I, people I would view as older than me here, who I look at and I think, I would really like to be like you when, you're, when I'm your age. Because I see you, the influence you have in the community, and you rock. There's a gift to it. So, some questions for us to think about. Is independence always good? Sometimes it isn't. Is dependence always bad? I was fascinated when I, Jesus died at 33 to read this line in John when he talked about the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life because I was thinking, Jesus, you don't know what it was like, what it's like to have had an ability and have it stripped back from you. But he talks about a conscious decision to lay down my life. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. And for many of us in old age, there is a laying down that happens. Jesus did it on speed. I was talking, uh, no, sorry, I read of a hospice nurse who said something that has always stayed with me. That second half of life, he said, Here's what he hopes. As things are being stripped away from us, they are being stripped away that we might be filled with the glory of God. So that we are hollow to be filled. And I would love that to be true. Because it would give meaning to something that can be really tough when you see people losing ability or when it's you losing ability. I can't quite fully justify it with the Bible. I can say there is this desire that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And I can say that what Paul has to say about this is, hey guys, when you were baptized, you already died. Actually, when Paul writes in a culture where death is pretty common, he says, you got baptized, 
You decided that was a symbolic death. You have already died, so you have nothing to fear. It's happened. So now you can live freely. And Paul, so he says, um, those of us who are baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead, you might live a brand, a new life. We've been united, no longer to be slaves of sin. I'm coming forward because I'm concerned about time. If we died with Christ, we will live again. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, and the life he lives, he lives to God. Paul's take is, you have already died, don't be scared of this. Which is worth knowing. Um, If you don't know what baptism is, or you're interested, um, there's an article on the website, um, parklands.org.nz, under um, learn what's with baptism, does a brief rave about baptism. I meant to print off copies, but I didn't, so my apologies. Why have I done all this? Well, how do we live if we know we're going to die? Quick, four points from John Oakberg. He says, first of all, when you die, you will never lose what you have connected with God. Your interior life with God matters. Secondly, he says, actually, the stuff you do with people That matters. So how shall we live, he suggests. Pay attention. I think it's quite good. No matter your age, pay attention to the things that bring you great joy. They matter. No matter your age, pay attention to them. And then he says, pay attention to your calling. What is God calling you to do? Now that's linked with the joy. You will feel satisfaction about the thing. And this applies no matter your age. But the other thing that I want to say is that actually in this graph we have a journey to independence and then a journey to dependence. But at the end, how do they start? Everybody dies. We die. And what happens is we become completely dependent on God. Here we are. And we fall. And we are caught by the hands of a loving God who lifts us up. So the graphics aren't brilliant. This is saying in the end for all of us, we become totally dependent on God. Not on what we did or earned or how clever, any of that, totally dependent. And then will God catch us when we die? That is our story. So if you're struggling with issues of dependence, remember becoming dependent. This is our fate to be held by the loving heart of God, by the Jesus who promises that that death is not the end because there is resurrection. And yes, you want to have something going with Jesus for that. When C.S. Lewis writes about heaven and hell, he suggests that you've lived a completely independent life, independent of God, and you die, and in an afterlife you still try to keep being independent. And he describes heaven as the place of people who go, yeah, I want to be connected with you, God, and suddenly you are. Apologies for the graphics. Which brings me to... Communion. Now, I'm sorry, the service has taken a little while. What we're going to do to close our service is we're going to say that when I was about um, all age prayer once more. Then I've got a song that's 10 minutes long. And I would invite you, um, the words of the songs are really good, 
the words of the songs, the chorus says, break the bread, pour the wine, let our hearts come alive in your presence, in your presence. Let our fear fall away, let our faith rise today in your presence, in your presence. So what I'd like to invite you to do, if I could have a couple of people come up and hold the elements of communion up here, just hold them, then if you could come up and take the elements of communion. Bread and wine. Uh, I know people like to do communion different ways. We've got 10 minutes of space to enjoy being in the presence of God. If you're interested in following Jesus, if you want to know Jesus, you are invited to the table to take bread and wine. But before we do it, I'm just going to go back to the very start, see if I can do it, to remind ourselves. I'll put this down. Here we go. When I was a baby... I know that Jesus loved me. Now I am as tall as this, and I know that Jesus loves me. And when I am as tall as this, or this, or this, or even when I walk like this, I know that Jesus loves me. Okay. So it's space. I'm very happy for you to stop and pray. I'm very happy for you to come forward and take communion. There should be a song. And the lyrics are going along. It's quite singable. So if you want to sing it quietly, you're welcome to. This is space for you and God. If you'd like someone to pray with you, just come and grab a seat up the front. It's okay. I won't. <laughs> um, and someone will come and pray with you. Thanks. Is it? Have we got sound? Do I need to press anything? Oh, uh, yep. Okay. Okay.